All right. Glad everybody's here. Um, at least us, us godly folk that are here on time. and Us sinners, actually, that's more like it. Our, us, us righteous sinners. Sinners yet righteous. Um, that's exactly right. All right, so let's... Um, one of the questions that we're going to ask this morning is, just by way of review, is how do you threaten a dead man? That comes from Dan's lesson last week, Bodhi Bakum. How do you threaten a dead man? Right? That's an awesome quote. Just when you recognize that we are dead in Christ, that our goal is going to be get to get to heaven anyway, that seems to be Paul's overall default setting is he'd rather be with Christ, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And so, but there's profit for him sticking around, but it's much better to go be with Christ. Um, so how do you threaten a guy like that? Well, as, we, as we're going to see this morning in the conversion of Paul, um, it's hard to threaten a dead man. <laughs> and uh, as the Spirit's moving through Paul. And so a lot of encouragement there. Just uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then um, we'll do a little bit of review. And... Um, and then we'll jump into the text. I, I probably say this every week, so it may sound like I'm not being sincere, but I'm really excited about this text this morning. And I really think it's going to be an encouragement to you. It's been a great encouragement to me. Um, so let's pray and ask that the Lord will move in our hearts. Lord, we thank you so much for the blessing of being here on the Lord's Day to hear your word taught and preached. We pray, Father, that your spirit would move in our hearts and to continue to keep our hearts soft before you. We know that in just one day, even in less than a day, our hearts can grow hard through the deceitfulness of sin, but we should exhort one another daily. And so we pray, Father, as we exhort one another in your word, that your spirit would move amongst us. Where shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Uh, we need not just physical bread every day. We need spiritual bread every day. And so we pray that you would depart to us spiritual bread as we read it and that your Holy Spirit would illumine it. And Lord, that you would do the work of correcting and rebuking, exhorting that the man and woman of God may be equipped for every good work. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so let's do a little bit of review uh, from Dan's lesson last week. All right, so let's let's talk about these review points. So the spreading of the gospel has been God's plan and a uh, and a cost accomplishment since the day of Pentecost was uh, one of the points that Dan made last week. Despite the frailty of human agents, God has not failed to reach every person he has chosen. And so we saw that in the encouragement of just how uh, Stephen went out, preached the gospel. I was really encouraged by the Ethiopian eunuch. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. God is not just interested in crowds, but individuals. That was a fantastic point um, that here the Lord sends Philip and great job, Dan, uh, to the, I should say, the Ethiopian official, not the the other person. And uh, so I don't know, that really stood out to me that it's, you know, he's, there's there's a, a place for preaching to crowds. But here the Lord wanted to go get this one person who's riding along in a covered wagon, as it were, and um, and 
And as Dan was saying last week, um, this guy obviously was prepared. He's reading out of Isaiah and the Lord brings Philip to him. And and what a great, great blessing. Um, what about those in Africa who haven't heard like the Ethiopian official? If God has to drop a prophet on them, he will. That's a that was a great point from that text as well as. Here's a guy from North Africa that's just riding along, trying to figure out the book of Isaiah. Boom, the Lord brings Philip into his life to evangelize him. Uh, We must remember that this life is not the best that God has for us. Um, We're looking forward to the next life, right? So we're we're, we're doing what we can here to advance the gospel and participate in God's kingdom. But the goal is really to get to Christ. And so we want to keep that constantly in mind. That's a great review point. Um, This life is all that we know by experience, but it is not all that we know by faith. And so I think part of the point is Isaiah, guys like Isaiah, were writing about things they didn't even quite understand, but the Lord's using it to save, save people. Many times God has used persecution as the as the means of cracking open the gospel, just as a wildfire is used to crack open the seeds of some vegetation. Great point. And we see that um, with uh, Stephen. Again, these are all review points. Sorry, I didn't have it go straight to you. There was one Vadi Bakum quote there. We don't need the gospel to be cool. We just need it to be clear. Um, and so that was something that really stood out to me last week as well, um, is just share the gospel, just get the gospel out there. Um, I think I've mentioned this before. There's a book called any three by a guy named Mike Shipman and who's, uh, quite an evangelist in Indonesia. And the any three book is basically about just sharing the gospel anywhere with anyone at any time. That's what he means by any three. And his overall thesis is, is the gospel really as the power of God unto salvation? And therefore, all of these kind of little excuses that we build, even like theological, we try to bolster certain things to basically say that you can't just share the gospel with people. He has a, a chapter in there called the, um, <clears throat> I forget exactly how he calls the chapter. Thank you so much. And um, where he tries to dispel certain myths about evangelism. And, and they're all, the, the trouble is, is they're all kind of half-truths. Like, you have to build a friendship first. Okay, there, you, you do want to try to build relationships, right? But did Philip build a relationship with the Ethiopian eunuch, I mean, official, before he sat down and started... Yeah, well, in one sense, they, he jumped up into the cart, probably spent a lot of time with him. But it's not like he felt like, I've got to get to know this guy for three months before I can open up my mouth about the gospel. In fact, it, it actually, that approach can create some really weird relationships where you get to know somebody for three, four, five, six months. You've never talked about Jesus. And suddenly, now you're going to throw Jesus into the conversation after six months? It's like now it's kind of like, well, what is this a bait and switch on our friendship or what's going on here? Um, Are you an Amway salesman or. But if Jesus is just 
part of our ongoing life and we really recognize that it's the gospel, it's the power of salvation anyway, I don't have, Jesus already earned the right for me to speak about Christ. He, he died for me. I'm not perfect. He is. He's all powerful. I'm not all powerful. I'm not all wise. I have all of Christ's righteousness. Yes, I need to be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. But it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation, not whether Mike Berry's cool or smart or whether he's got great illustrations or whether he has a goatee or shaved his goatee or whether I have long hair when back in the day or short hair now. It's all the gospel, right? And so we just give the gospel and spread it as broadly as possible. That gives the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work. Um, Obviously, it's gospel within human beings that are trying to live for Christ and live in a gospel-oriented way. But think about this, and then we'll move into today's lesson, that when it comes to gospel sharing, Paul is more concerned about the content of the gospel than even sincerity. Isn't that weird? Think about that. When, um, when Paul is talking in the Philippians about some people are preaching the gospel and their whole motivation for preaching the gospel is to cause Paul pain while he's in prison and they're trying to put Paul down and diminish his ministry, what's his attitude? As long as the gospel's being preached, that's okay. I'm not all that worried about my reputation. If they're sincerely going, not sincerely, if they're going out and giving the right content, great. Obviously, it'd be better if they had good, sincere motives too, but they're getting the good content. You go to the book of Galatians and you've got a bunch of Judaizers who are very sincerely going out and trying to add circumcision to the gospel. They really believe that you must be circumcised and have Jesus in order to be saved. And they're completely sincere about it. What's Paul's attitude towards that sincerity? May they be anathema. I don't know about you, but I tend to naturally, I tend to put it the other way. I think as long as somebody's sincere, even if they're a little bit off on some of their gospel, well, God must be okay with that. Whereas sometimes I've seen people preach and share the gospel where I, I'm not overly excited about their methods and I question their sincerity. But if they're giving the gospel, now you have the opportunity for the gospel to go out and do its powerful work. Obviously, you'd like to have both, right? Word and deed. Does that make sense to you guys? And so we have to, so just, you want to do the, we have to be careful about thinking that it all depends upon me. It doesn't all depend upon me. It depends, it's the Holy Spirit that is, is convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And as we're going to see this morning, it really, it, it's when the Lord decides he's going to save somebody, um, good luck resisting that, as we're going to see um, with the Apostle Paul. So let's go ahead and turn to Acts 9 and um, we'll do a little bit of review and uh, actually let's look at Acts 8 first so you guys remember last week on Dan's lesson we've got um, Stephen in chapter 7 is is stoned but in in 758 there is a, a young man named Saul who is holding his clothes. And we find out more about Saul in chapter eight, verse one. Now Saul was consenting to his death, that Stephen's death at that time, 
A great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they all were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. So in the south, all the way in the north, except for the apostles, the apostles stay put, which is a good sign that the leadership, while they scattered when Christ was arrested, when this first big persecution comes, they stay put. Um, So this is a good sign. Verse two and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made the great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So this guy is going into homes, imprisoning people, making havoc. Uh, look over at chapter 9 real quick. <clears throat> so then Saul, 9 verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So think about this real quick. We'll break this down. He's breathing out threats. The idea seems to be every breath he takes, every breath I take, he's breathing out threats. Just I'm going to get you guys. I'm going to take you out. Um, we, we, we see this today, right? You hear always you're seeing things on YouTube or the media or there's a person, people breathing out threats. We have India. There's increased persecution right now going on in India. Pakistan is settling down a little bit. China is just blowing up with persecution right now. <clears throat> breathing out threats. We see an increase threatenings that seems to be happening here in the United States. So Paul's breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. I want to point out the fact that these are the disciples of the Lord. They belong to the Lord. Keep that in mind. And so Paul goes to the high priest, verse 2. He asks letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus. This is way up northeast of Jerusalem, if you look on a map, and uh, up in Syria. So that if found any who were of the way, this is so now we know that the church is starting to be called the way at this point, probably from Christ nominate or a designation of the way, the truth and the life, whether men or women that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's indiscriminate. He's not just going after the men. He's going after the men and the women. And uh, and he's binding them and bringing them down to Jerusalem. And. Um, and so, so that's that's his mission. So you've got a guy here. Has anybody else seen the least of these other than Steve? He's the one that pointed that movie out to me. Anyone see that movie? So you get a real similar, very kind of recent history feel for what Paul is doing by in that movie of persecution, where in India, um, the Indian officials are just moving against this missionary. Really, re- highly recommend the movie. It's just amazing. Uh, but this kind of stuff, it, it, we don't feel it to this level in the United States. But as you guys may remember the testimony of Morris Bashir, it's definitely happening in Pakistan. We've got one of our missionaries right now in the Philippines, Dave Raj. He's visited here a couple months ago. Remember the guy that we call him Dave Rogers because it's hard for us to pronounce his Indian name. The reason he's in the Philippines is he was run out of India. Um, and the reason he's, even though he's Indian, he came to the United States and he got a United States citizenship, 
when he went back to India, he was able to stay kind of incognito for a while, but somehow the word got out that he had American citizenship and there was a huge riot and they beat him up and beat a bunch of other people up. And finally, the ministry sat Devraj down and said, brother, we love you, but you have United States citizenship. You're making us a target. You need to go. And so he started praying, and now he's in the Philippines down in Davao. We won't make it to Davao this summer. <clears throat> uh, but so he's now ministering to Filipinos, but it just so happens, luckily, right, that there's a bunch of Indians down there in Davao in the, in the medical establishment that he's ministering to. So this stuff's going on <clears throat> all over the place, as we see here <clears throat> with Paul. Um, let's go ahead and turn to chapter 26. We, we could look at Paul's testimony there in chapter 9. But for the sake of time, I just want to jump over to where Paul's explaining his testimony again to Agrippa. Here at Agrippa, because we get a few more details in chapter 26 that we don't get in chapter 9. So we're going to look at 26, verse 9 and following to get a feel of what the Lord does with this guy who is out hating. He's breathing out threats. As Paul says, by his own admission, he actually murdered Christians, persecuted Christians. And he's doing it very sincerely. Paul tells us in another place, I think in second, first or second Timothy, that he was doing it in ignorance in a sense. He really thought he was doing this for God and um, was very assertive and aggressive, as you guys know. What could, what could the Lord possibly do in the life of this of a guy like this that's out? Basically, his goal in life is to arrest and harass Christians. I mean, think about it. Think about you know somebody in your life who is the most... Um, aggressive who in your life do you know a friend or a workmate or or a boss um, that is just the worst in, as in coming after you or making fun of you if you really think about it <clears throat> this might not be true for everybody but i i think most of us at some point in our life before we were born again were god mock mockers most of us at some point mocked god hated god in some way um, at least in our choices, the way we went about our lives. I know for me, I remember my living babysitter sent me to Sunday school on a, on a Sunday school bus. And my, my uh, neighborhood friend, Keith Warwick, we went to church. And then I can remember us sitting in his house with his parents, all just laughing and telling Jesus jokes, making fun of the Sunday school teacher because he wore a suit and had a lot of hairspray in his hair. And because he had a southern accent. But this guy loved Jesus. This guy loved. Uh, it was a Sunday school bus ministry. And we're just there mocking God. I'm a, I'm a knowledgeable 13-year-old. Just mocking Jesus. Mocking God. Obviously, not. I don't have the power to breathe out threats like Paul. But, you know, that's in the, it's kind of endemic in the heart of man, isn't it? To, <clears throat> to, to kind of God wants you to do something. And you don't want to do it, right? We just decided we don't want to do what God wants. <clears throat> We're going to do our own thing. Let's look at Paul's testimony starting in verse 9, chapter 26, verse 9. Indeed, Paul says, speaking to Agrippa, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests 
And when they were put um, to death, I cast my vote against them. Specifically talking about Stephen, but even beyond that, we assume that Paul would have also, by his own testimony, would have been involved in more than that. Verse 11. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. That's You hear stories of that today um, where people are being compelled to blaspheme um, the Lord. Um, try to, to get them to, to curse God. That was the testimony. A lot of you guys know that some of us were at the Shepherds Conference last week. Um, and then some of our folks were at this uh, missions conference called uh, uh, Masters Academy International. One of the speakers, the f- I think the second speaker at the missions conference was Daniel Wong. Anybody hear that message? Oh, my goodness. You heard that? Oh, yeah. Jay Jones was there. Ah, oh, incredible testimony as he spoke about how he lived in China and how his parents were arrested and how that they were separated and that they were beating the parents, trying to get them to blaspheme Christ and tell them, we'll be nice to you. We won't kill your kids if you'll just blaspheme Christ. And then going to the kids and saying the same thing. If you'll just blaspheme Christ, we'll let your parents go. Just say that you deny Jesus. This was part of his testimony. He's a teacher at the master's uh, uh, university. And as he's just sharing this from his heart, it was just like, just pouring out of his heart, this testimony his love, love for his parents, his love for Christ. I think it was his brother, older brother, did die. Um, it, this is what Paul was doing, compelling them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, he says, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So he's, he's going well outside of Judea, chasing them down. Verse 12, while this oct- while thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests at midday, that's a point of information we don't get in chapter nine. O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, Why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Let's stop right there for a minute. So Paul's traveling up to Damascus to try to harass more Christians. All of a sudden he gets direct divine revelation. We don't all get direct divine revelation. Why? We're not the apostle Paul. This is in the Bible because this is special, right? The Bible records things like this because it doesn't happen every day. But here's a guy that's going to kill Christians. All of a sudden, there's this light. He falls to the ground. He hears a voice in Hebrew. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? Me. He's He's going after human beings that call themselves Christians. But Jesus says, you're persecuting me. Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads or the pricks. The idea here is, you know, back in this day in the agrarian society is you're trying to to uh, you get your ox out in front of you and you're trying to dig into the dirt. You guys can tell I'm not a farmer. Um, what do you call that again? When you're you're plowing, you're plowing the field, you're trying to turn it up so you can plant stuff. And, and they would use these these little pointers with a little piece of iron on the end of it to poke the the ox to let them know, yes, go this way. Don't go that way. 
And as the reading I've done, because I'm not a farmer, um, especially not an ancient Near Eastern farmer, um, you know, if the ox was moving one way or the other, they would poke, but sometimes the ox would kick. But when they would kick, it would go deeper into their flesh, right? So the goads were designed to get them to go one way. But if the, oak, if the ox is like, I don't want to do what my master says, it's going to go worse for them. And so Jesus appears and says, you're kicking against the goads. You're persecuting me. Now, I want you guys to keep this in mind. When, so when Jesus says, you're persecuting me, he's basically identifying himself with those who are being persecuted, right? So when you're persecuting Jesus's kids or Jesus's brothers, the father's kids, you are messing with Jesus. Jesus doesn't like that when you mess with his people. I want you to turn to Zechariah for a second, because what I want to establish. Let's look at Zechariah 2. Is Paul is a Hebrew of the Hebrews, right? Paul, this guy that's out persecuting Christians. When you look at the, the full breadth of his testimony, This guy was a Pharisee of Pharisees. What does that mean? That means he knew his Old Testament backwards and forward. He knew the Torah. He probably had the Torah memorized. He knew the whole Tanakh. That's the Hebrew expression for basically the prophets, the writings, the prophets, uh, uh, the Torah, the prophets and the writings. So basically the whole Old Testament in Hebrew order. He knows it all. And so he would have been very familiar with a text like this in Zechariah. And this is just one sampling of such texts where Yahweh speaks of what will happen to those that touch the apple of his eye. Okay, so let's look at verse eight. You guys there? Chapter two, verse eight. Chapter two. Thus says Yahweh of hosts or the Lord of hosts. He sent me after glory. We're going to have to do some grammar here. The Lord of hosts says he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. This is a messianic passage where the future Messiah is basically saying God sent me to to you to plunder those that are persecuting you. So there's four entities that are involved in this one verse. There's God. And we know now from a new Testament perspective, it's God, the father sending the Messiah, God, the son who's there to defend his people in this paragraph, or at least at this point, we're talking about Judah slash Israel against an entity of persecutors. Does Does that make sense? Four entities. Let's read verse eight again. For thus says the Lord of hosts. This is Jesus. He sent me. Who sent me? The father sent me after glory. The glory is up in the upper context of the glory that's being returned to Jerusalem to the nations, the Gentiles who plunder you, you Jews, for he who touches you, the Jews touches what? The apple of his what? eye. what in the world does that mean? The apple of his eye. I always have to go back and study these things because when I read it you know, a year later, I forget it or two months later, I forget it. But the idea of the apple of the eye is basically this. When you look at all the different terms in the Old Testament for the apple of the eye is it's an interesting Hebrew idiom 
where it's, it, in some contexts, it literally means the little man in the eye. The little man in the eye. So if Brian and I got up really close to each other and we were looking at each other eyeball to eyeball, I can actually see myself in the little part of his eye, the pupil of his eye. And you could see yourself in my eye if we got really close, which I don't recommend unless it's your spouse. It's okay. You can get really close and you can see your spouse in the eye. That's the little man in the eye. And so even Hebrew, ancient Hebrew commentators will talk about this concept that God looks at the Jews, particularly, you know, the remnant, and he, they're like the little man in his eye. And, and what do people do with their eyes? If somebody tries to touch your eye, what do you naturally do? Yeah, you're going to blink. You will turn your head and most people will put their hands up, right? So if I try to poke you in your eye, don't recommend it, but you know, um, somebody, you try to poke somebody, the natural reaction is this. Blink, turn your head, put your hands up. So he who touches you, Jesus says, touches the apple of his eye, the father's eye. But follow the context now. Verse 9. For surely I, this is the Messiah, will shake my hand against who? Them. And they shall become spoil for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. I will shake my hand at them. The Messiah, the future Messiah we know is Jesus. I will shake my hand at them. This could mean either like this. I'm going to shake my hand like this, like you get out of here or like this. It could be either way. And they will become plunder. Then look at verse 10. Sing, rejoice, O daughter of Zion. That's a reference to Jerusalem. For behold, I am coming. I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Verse 11, many nations. Now we open up to Gentiles. This is a prophetic future look of Gentiles coming into the people of God. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, Jews and Gentiles. And I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Again, Messianic sent me the Messiah to you. Verse 12, and the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance. Again, the apple of his eye in the holy land and will again choose Jerusalem. Now notice verse 13. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused for his holy habitation. The holy habitation would be basically symbolic for his holy people. So the holy habitation, the temple there in Zion slash Jerusalem, representing his people. So what is this? This is just one sampling of a context where basically God says, he who messes with my people, I will mess with them. Wave of the hand, plunder, you mess with my kids, you better be careful. Now, let's turn back to Acts 26. Think about that. Paul would have been very familiar with this kind of theology. He knows this theology. He knows the prophecies that pertain to the Jews. He knows how Yahweh feels about his own people. He's going to kill Christians in Damascus. Suddenly he's knocked to the ground by a light, which can't be anything other than the Shekinah glory in his mind. 
and says in Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? At this point, does Paul know this is Jesus? No. In the mind of Paul, as, a, as the Hebrew of the Hebrews, I know, but does Paul know that he's Jesus? No, he doesn't. Paul, Jesus is just saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul has no clue yet, as we're going to see in a second, because he says, who are you, Lord? Um, does he say that here? Or does he just say that in chapter 9? Okay, so he doesn't know this is Jesus. All he knows is there's a great light in Paul's mind, probably Shekinah glory. Now he hears the Hebrew language. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. I want to suggest to you in the mind of the Hebrew of the Hebrews, who is very familiar with Old Testament theology, the next step is for a wave of the hand and a crush of the fist. That would have been undoubtedly what Paul would have been expecting. You are, de- you are a dead man. You have touched the apple of my eye. The next thing that you should expect is just to be wiped off the planet. So Paul's on the ground. He's seen this, the Shekinah glory. Who are you? Look at verse 15. So I said, who are you, Lord? When he says, Lord, don't think of this as Yahweh. Maybe Yahweh, maybe just Kurios. Who are you, master? He has no idea. Then Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now he knows who the person is that has been revealed to him. It's Jesus. Verse 16, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I I now send you to open your eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith to me. Now, Paul is probably compressing a lot of things in time here. And when you compare it to chapter nine, Paul's on the ground he sees Christ and then he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Jesus says, go to Damascus, wait there, and then I'll tell you what to do. He goes to Damascus. You guys know the story. The Lord appears to Ananias and Ananias goes, heals him. And then he gets more revelation. So Paul's probably compressing his testimony at this point. These are all the things that Jesus is telling him to do. But what I want to point out is Paul definitely would have been expecting the wrath of God. But instead, what he gets is the mercy of God and a commission to go out and start preaching the gospel. And then what kind of reaction do we see from Paul as a result of that? Let's turn back to Acts 9. What kind of reaction do we see? So Acts 9, look at verse 6. Arise, go into the city. You will be told what you must do. And then three days go by. He doesn't eat any water or or he doesn't eat food or drink water. Um, Then Ananias is sent. and, um, And then look at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, This is to Ananias. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. 
For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my sake. Then he is healed. He's filled with the spirit. He's baptized. Um, then he eats. He's strengthened. Then look down at verse 20. Immediately. He preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Here's a guy that's going to kill Christians. The Lord knocks him down. He's almost certainly expecting God's wrath, according to his understanding of the Old Testament. Instead, he gets a commission. And now he's preaching Christ rather than killing Christians. And it doesn't take long at all before uh, in the rest of the chapter, his life is being threatened. Now, I want to fast forward. Let's look over at 1 Corinthians 15. In, his, in, in Paul's testimony, which it's in the Bible because it is such a remarkable testimony and turn of events, we should not get the impression from reading Paul's testimony that everybody's testimony is going to be just like this and everybody should have this kind of a uh, dramatic experience. But reality is, is if we understand his testimony properly against our own, is all of us have this type of experience of the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus is speaking to um, the Pharisee in John chapter 3. Why am I forgetting his name? The Pharisee. Nicodemus. When he's speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he tells Nicodemus, the Holy Spirit is the one that moves upon hearts. We don't really see the wind, how it goes, but you must be born again. Everybody must be born again. That's how true heart change happens. That's how the heart of stone is taken out. Heart of flesh is put in. And but notice what this big, the, the type of mentality this works in Paul now really for the rest of his life. Verse nine of chapter 15, he says, for I am the least of the apostles who am not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted what? The church of God. I'm the least I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I touched the apple of God's eye. I persecuted the church. And but God had grace on me. And that grace, look what he says in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. This becomes a mantra for Paul. Throughout the rest of his life. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. Why? I touched the apple of God's eye. I persecuted the church. I have no business being in this position. Jesus should have waved his hand at me. Shook his fist. I was underneath the wrath of God. And yet God had mercy upon me. And now he goes out. And he's preaching for Christ. And receiving the same type of treatment that he was wielding upon other people. And you just know that throughout his lifetime, he's like, why do I get, you know, the grace of God just becomes a theme in his life. Why am I experiencing this grace? And I get to go out and preach the gospel. Um, and and it, it, it serves as an explanation for the motive in his life to go out and preach Christ. So what are we to do with this? What are we to do with the Apostle Paul's testimony? Let me tell you what we don't do with it. We don't look at the Apostle Paul and say, 
man, he had a he got to see a direct divine shining light that knocked him down. I've never seen a direct divine shining light. So my testimony is really nothing. I uh man, what can I what can I say compared to the apostle Paul? That's not the way we read passages like that. There's a lot of things. One of the keys, let me give you one of the keys to the Old and New Testament to help you understand. There's a lot of narrative that's in the Old Testament and the New Testament very much for the reason that it's incredibly special and unique. These things don't happen every day. That's why it's recorded for us in the Bible. What happened in Paul's conversion is completely unique in the history of the church that he was knocked down in this way and that Jesus comes and that he is he is the final apostle, as he says, who gets to see the resurrected Christ and calls him to be an apostle, not just an average Christian. You know, in one sense, he is a brother in Christ, but he is an apostle. He is a sent one that has helped laying the foundation of the church. Remember apostles, prophets, Ephesians 220. And so he's helping lay this foundation, um, this role in the church that only happens during the first um, generation of the church. And then they die out and there's no more gift of apostleship. And so he's, he has a very unique role in, his, in the church. But where it does overlap with us is every one of us has to come to some sort of interface through the Holy Spirit with Jesus Christ. As we hear the gospel preached, as we see it read. It's as the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our hearts and turns our hearts, that's going to really make the difference. Right. Remember what Paul says in Second Timothy, chapter two, he says, we've all been taken captive by the devil to do his will. That's this. That's our state before God opens our eyes. But we're praying for unbelieving friends and family. And we try to talk to people in gentleness. If God will perhaps what? Grant them repentance, having taken captive by the devil to do his will. Paul admits that he was taken captive by the devil doing his will, but then Jesus gets a hold of his heart, and now he's working for Jesus. Why? Because of Paul? No, because the Holy Spirit had granted him the gift of being born again. And that and the Lord has done that for us and will continue to do that until the return of Christ. And so it's something that we should gain encouragement by, I believe, um, is, is that it's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that will change our hearts and then give us the motives to go out and work for him. Let me give us this. This is a quote from uh, Alvin and Milton. Um, Chris Gomez posted this on um, our Sunday school site. Did you guys see that or is that only did that only come to me? This quote, it only came to me. Okay, so I, I love this quote from it's a combo quote from Pastor Milton and Alvin Davis is Paul was a lunatic apostle who was madly in love with Jesus because he was radicalized by grace. That is a great summary of what happened in the life of the apostle Paul is he got overwhelmed with the love of Jesus for him, knowing what he deserved And when the love of Jesus was spread abroad in his heart, it radicalized him. And God used him in a very unique way to go out and lay this foundation work for the church. One of the things that we need to think about when it comes to the founding of the church 
is that God, by his grace, kind of moved on the church in a very rapid growth kind of way right out the gate. Um, we have God we doing this, doing stuff that is very unusual and that you see thousands of people getting saved overnight, this punctuated equilibrium in the church. You have a guy like the Apostle Paul who's killing Christians that suddenly now is preaching the gospel and the flourish, the, just the flourishing that comes from his ministry and from the ministry of the apostles is overwhelming to set up that first generation. What most other Christians are doing in church history, you, we don't really hear about them. We don't hear about all the other believers. We hear about Philip, an apostle. We hear about this person, that person. But you want to get an idea of what just your average believer is doing? Look at First Thessalonians, where Paul has to tell the Thessalonians, work with your hands, mind your own business. What? That's my job as an average Christian in Thessalonica. He says, work with your hands, mind your own business, go out and do your job, be a good Christian. That's that's what most of us are doing is we're going out just working in our jobs. Every job is holy, right? You don't you don't you don't have to be an apostle to be loved by Jesus. You can just be a dad who's working in your job. You know, you're an engineer, you're working at McDonald's, you're at home changing diapers, <clears throat> you're discipling those little kids, you're taking your kid out to baseball practice, talking to him about Jesus on the way to baseball practice. Work with your hands, mind your own business, go out and share and live the gospel in community. That's what the average Christian is doing. But God takes people like the Apostle Paul, the 13 apostles, he, he gets these prophets rolling early in the church to lay up this foundation. There's this punctuated equilibrium. Boom. This It's like just add water. Church. Boom. You've got all this stuff going on. And then what happens throughout most of church history is people are just living their lives. Very much like it's not like the rabbit. It's more like the turtle. We're just out there living our lives, believing the gospel and then sharing the gospel. And then doing what God's called us to do in our vocations. So we should be encouraged by the Apostle Paul that God saves us in a sense the way he saves him. We should be encouraged by the Apostle Paul that God is, um, does amazing works and does this punctuated equilibrium thing to get the church rolling. And we see that happening at different times in church history. But we should not be discouraged thinking, man, if I'm not the Apostle Paul, then I must really be a loser. Maybe nobody in this room struggles with that, but I've struggled with that idea for years, thinking that if I'm not radical enough, if I'm not out there, you know, ready just to to die for Christ every moment of every day, <clears throat> then there's something really woefully wrong with me. No, you know, what does first Corinthians 13 tell us? You know, I could go out and be a martyr for Christ, but if I have not love it profits me nothing. But if I love Christ I understand his love for me. If I love my wife, if I just love my kids, if I just come to church, try to be the best pastor I can be here at Cornerstone, and I die, and nobody ever hears of Mike Berry again, and if my tombstone gets obliterated one day, guess what? It's great. To live as Christ, to die as gain, he must increase. 
I must decrease. The Apostle Paul is there for reason to be encouragement to us, but it's not with the hope that somehow I'm going to be the Apostle Paul one day. That's not the goal. In fact, turn to one passage that this is. Look at look at uh, 1 Corinthians 9 real quick. I'm going a little bit off script. Is that okay? Is that all right? Okay, a little off script here. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 9. I've been reading the Bible since I was probably 10 years old or 9 or 8. I was a Christian at 14. I've been a pastor for 20 years. And uh, I have no memory of this verse. How does that happen? Um, Look at. Let's start in verse. 15, I, I, I know verse 15. But the context afterwards, I have no memory of. Paul says. Um. Actually, look at verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Raise your hand if you've heard the verse, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Yeah, I've, I know that verse. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. That's, so Paul says, <clears throat> I preach the gospel, but when I preach, there's really nothing for me to boast of, <clears throat> for necessity is laid upon me. What does that mean? <clears throat> Paul says, I've I was knocked down to the ground. <clears throat> Jesus could have wiped me out, but he gives me a commission to go preach the gospel. I have absolutely nothing to boast about just because I'm out preaching the gospel. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. And woe of me if I don't do what Christ commissioned me to do. But then look at verse 17. For if I do this willingly, what is the this? Preach the gospel. If I preach the gospel willingly, I have a reward. Some versions say if I preach it voluntarily, raise your hand if it's if your version says voluntarily. Good. I like that translation. So if I'm just a volunteer, then I get a reward because I signed up for this. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with the stewardship. What does that mean? What does that mean? I, he didn't volunteer for this. Was was Paul walking around the road to Damascus? All of a sudden he sees a light. He goes over and, hey, that's Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I want to sign up for this. Could I sign up? You know, I've I've got a lot of knowledge of the Old Testament. And I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'd like to sign up to be on your team. Oh, boy, Paul, I've been looking for a guy like you. You are the Hebrew of Hebrews. You're cool. You're good looking. You've you've got really good speech, speaking skills, right? Would you please be on my team so that I can extend my kingdom? Is that the way it rolled? No. Paul was going to kill Christians. He gets knocked down totally against his will. Jesus could have wiped him off the planet, but has sovereign elective mercy upon Saul. Why are you persecuting me? I'm going to now use you to go out and preach to Gentiles, Jews, kings. And I'm going to show you how much you can suffer for my sake. Paul takes his whole testimony and basically says, if I signed up for this, then give me a reward. But if it was against my will, then 
this is just a stewardship. What is he saying? The job I'm doing, I didn't sign up for. God put me in it. It was completely against my will. So what am I bragging about? There's nothing for me to boast about. I'm just doing my job. Right? By God's grace, through the Holy Spirit, you have to mix in all the other passages there. And, you know, so he's grace. But we have this thing where I don't know about you. I, I might be the only one that struggles with this, but there's a part of me that feels like, you know, the Lord will move on my heart and I'll get excited about sharing the gospel at different epochs. And, you know, I, I always kind of go up and down my enthusiasms and this and that. And then there's struggles. And so but then I'll be out preaching the gospel and then I start feeling pretty good about myself. Wow, you know, I'm I'm out sharing the gospel. I'm passing out tracts and preaching and I'm a really good guy. Boy, I'm a good pastor. Boy, I wish more people would go out and share the gospel. Why aren't more people sharing the gospel? You know, the church needs to share the gospel. I'm sharing the gospel. Why aren't other people sharing the gospel? I really should receive a reward because I'm such an amazing man for sharing the gospel. Paul says, what? what? Mike Berry, what? You know, as if he's up in heaven, you know, cloud of witnesses looking down at me. What are you talking about? No, I didn't volunteer for this. Jesus came, saved me when I was a sinner, mocking God at 13 years old. I get to watch Chuck Smith one day. I didn't even want to go in. We'll end here in a few minutes. <clears throat> when my living babysitter asked me to come in and watch Chuck Smith on KCOP Channel 13, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to stay in my room and watch the fall guy. Anybody remember the fall guy? Lee Majors. He was the $6 million man. So I had a TV in my own room at that time. I don't know why my parents let me have a TV in my own room. We didn't have cable back then, but still. Um, <clears throat> so I'm, I, I wanted to watch the fall guy, but Mammer was going to be moving out in a week. And I kind of felt bad. You know, she really did invest a lot in us kids for many years. And she says, Michael, do you want to come in and watch Chuck? That's what she called him, Chuck, Chuck Smith. I did not want to. But I was like, oh, oh well, I'll go in there and just appease Mammer. So I go in, I start watching Chuck Smith. I've heard Chuck Smith preach hundreds of times by that point in my life. I had heard hundreds of Bible studies from Mammer. I had I had prayed little prayers. I'd made little professions of faith, and I'd go back with my buddy Keith. We'd be mocking Jesus. All of a sudden, I'm watching Chuck Smith and Channel 13. He's talking about the rapture. Starts talking about Jesus. All of a sudden, it's like, boom! My eyes are opened. How does it happen? That Brian knows. <coughs> yeah. Oh. Know so much about God from that point because a lot of us don't even know God that much. Paul did oh. in our conversion, and yet he takes him and he shows him that it has nothing to do with you, Paul. You hate me so much that I love you so much, and I'm going to save you. And now we get to see something extreme every Christian when we get to hear about the gospel of what this man, what he did for Paul. I could, man, I couldn't have said that any better. It's like, yeah, Paul, Paul had so much knowledge of God. 
and yet didn't know God, and he's a God-hater, here's a guy who's hating God that Jesus comes down and says, you're now going to love God. Brian is on his motorcycle, drunk, hating God, rides his motorcycle into a wall, a fence, a norco, then he wants to kill himself. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit drops on him. He starts believing the gospel. And now he's like, God put me in this wheelchair to save my life, save my soul. He's like, if you ask Brian right now, if he'd rather have his legs or his soul, it's going to be his soul, right? <clears throat> the Lord, why does the Lord do this kind of stuff for us? It's just crazy. All of a sudden, my eyes are open. I go into my room. I cry out to Jesus, save me. I've done that many different times. This time... It took. Why did it take? Not because I believed more, but not because I was smarter now, because I was born again. And then I right away, you can ask my sisters, other people that knew me at the time, even my buddy Dave Sapodin on Facebook, who doesn't know Christ this day. He saw the change. All of a sudden, like I, I was this introverted kid that's running around telling people about Jesus. Well, how does that happen? It's just the Holy Spirit. And uh, and so the the kind of like the final point here is the Lord. <clears throat> so be encouraged. The, the Lord, uh, you didn't sign up for this thing voluntarily, right? You didn't just say, "Hey, I want to be on Jesus's team," and so therefore I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and preach the gospel, and therefore <clears throat> I get to brag about all the people that I get to talk to. And the other encouraging part about that is, is because I was installed on the team and not just volunteered for the team. What do we have to worry about when it comes to whether people reject us or not? If if it's really a commission, a stewardship and I go and I'm just I'm just I'm just a what do you call it? I'm, I'm just passing the message along. I'm just a herald. Not even a herald. I'm just kind of a slave, just kind of casting seed out. Are we responsible for making people believe? Am I responsible for for convicting, rebuking, or you know, or uh, convicting of righteousness, making someone be born again? We can't do that. All we can do is disperse the seed. We don't, we get no glory for it. There's no reason for us to boast. And neither is there a reason for us to fear if we're thinking about it properly, because this is all Christ working anyway. And so if they don't like me, I'm just the errand boy. They're real issues with Jesus. Right. Um, So let me just end with this final bit of encouragement is uh, I gave you guys the double dog dare challenge a couple four weeks ago or something like that. Several of you have taken me up on it. It's been real encouragement to me because I'm a natural coward. And Alan Monroy, uh, who uh, isn't here this morning, he said, Pastor Mike, I, I, I'd like to do this. I'm a, I'm nervous. I'm an introvert. I, I, I've never really done much gospel sharing, but I'll go out if you'll take me out. It's like, let's do it. What am I going to say? I'm a pastor. Can I just say, oh, no, I'm too scared, Alan. I. I'm an introvert too, and I get really afraid. So, but I, I can't take you out. No, yeah. So we met on Thursday. We went out to UCR, and uh, we met for breakfast. We just went out for one hour, <clears throat> just to do our 
we, w the plan was is that I could preach, but we couldn't find a big enough crowd for the most part, so we did a lot of Mitsuo Fujita tracks. And he, all, he, all Alan did is we walked, and he just prayed while we were walking over to this main area. And as he began to pray, I was just so blessed by his prayers that I just started getting bold. I was like, ah. I was just like, ah. It was kind of like, you know, you know, pregame ceremonies, you know, before you go into a football game and everybody's like, oh, oh, oh. and so he was just praying for me and it was just like, all right, I'm, I'm ready to rock. And so we just went around and for an hour, we just got in a ton of conversations and it's really strange. I, I always think that people are going to just reject us outright and everybody's going to hate what we have to say. I'm amazed in our culture how many people still want to talk and are so willing to hear if we approach them with humility and we get straight to the point. We're not trying to like cloak it and and be some Amway salesman, like pretend like we're, you know, one thing and then kind of do a bait and hook the other way is I'm just we're just passing out tracks, talking to people, engaging them. We got in a lot of really good substance conversations, invited some people to church. I'd really, I really wanted to do some actual preaching, and it didn't happen uh, initially. And I'd even bought my little stool, never got to use it. <clears throat> but we went back to Bannockburn, and this is uh, uh, a bunch of people got off the bus. This was the this was the hardest that we ever had. About twenty five people walked by us, and we had open reception the whole time but then i tried to give a track to 25 different people that walking past me and every one of them rejected it not just rejected it looked away and some of them looked mean when i tried to offer them the track it was the only time it happened the whole morning i turned around to alan and we're both just smiling because it was so unusual and i'm just like man that was a tough bus <laughs> and uh but that was the only time that happened but then just a few minutes later, a crowd of about 25 people gathered up ready to cross the street. And I'm not saying this because I do this kind of stuff all the time, but Alan was praying. And so I knew I had about 15 seconds. So I just, I, my sermon that I had prepared is a two-minute sermon. So I didn't know what else to say. I just said, for God so loved the world that God gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And if you guys would just call upon the Lord Jesus today, you guys could be saved. And then I lost track of what I was supposed to say. And I said some nonsense. I don't even know what I said. It's on video. And um, and then they crossed the street. So I got in like about a 10 second sermon. And so I was like, all right, we came out to do some preaching to a crowd. And I got in a 10 second sermon to a crowd. But so I think part of the the lesson that. I want to that we learned is that we were a team. Alan said nothing in any of these conversations. That wasn't the goal. He just prayed. And and he went with me. But I felt so encouraged having him there. And after so many of these conversations, it's like as soon as the conversation was over, we'd look at each other and just be like. Why do these people want to talk to us? Why why are they open to the gospel? I don't know why we're surprised that the gospel is the power of God. And I don't know why. So anyway, if you, anybody wants to go, it will help me. You will encourage me to help me be bolder and, and do my job, right? No glory to any of us. I'm just doing my job. 
And so if anybody wants to do it, we're going to try to set up another one this week, probably on Friday. Uh, so we're just going over to UCR at 8 o'clock in the morning. That may, I know that doesn't fit with most people's work schedule. But if you have another time period that you want to try it out, it doesn't have to be UCR. It can be just a friend of yours. Maybe you have a family member you want to witness to them, but you're kind of scared. Pastor Mike, come with me and <clears throat> share the gospel. And then you just pray and I'll share the gospel with them, right? Or whatever, whatever you want to do. Or I'll come and pray for you if you're like totally cool. I'll, I'll stand right next to you and I'll just pray. Yeah, double dog dare. Double dog dare me. Yeah, my, my little Samuel, he's been the best. I already told you guys that, right? Samuel and I will be out. We'll be somewhere. All of a sudden, there's a couple people there. I, and my mind's somewhere else. All of a sudden, I hear Samuel. Dad, you got to track him. <laughs> well, what? <laughs> track him. <laughs> what are you talking about? Get him a track. Well, oh, okay. All right, good good call, Sam. Good call, bro. So that's a good little reminder. Yeah, Steve. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Yeah, Steve's just sharing that as we've been talking about this lately, it's been encouragement to him to take bolder steps than he normally would. So that's great. And that's that's the same for me. I, I'm looking out the landscape at some some of these guys. That I really believe I have the gift of evangelism. I don't think I have the gift. But I'm looking at some of what they're doing. I'm like, ooh, that encourages me. And I love the concept that it's a team sport. <clears throat> it's not individual. We're not playing tennis. Right. We're doing it together. Even when you're sitting at your office and you just start praying for the pastors here. Guess what? That's that's part of the team sport. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the Apostle Paul. What a great encouragement his life is. This man who deserved your judgment and wrath for touching the apple of your eye. And yet he gets grace and a commission to go out and preach the gospel not voluntarily, but as a steward to go out and just represent you. <clears throat> Lord, thank you so much that really all of our testimonies are the same. Maybe not falling on a road on to, to Damascus, <clears throat> but you've called each of us to yourself through grace, imparting to us the Holy Spirit as we've each received the gospel. We pray, Lord, that we keep going out to the people in our church, our, our young people, people that visit us even this day, Lord, as the gospel goes out through the singing and the preaching, Lord, that you would uh, save some. Lord, we pray that with the Apostle Paul, that we would, by all means, save some. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.